there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. It's Advanced Medicine Monday, and let's see if he's there. No, of course not. I know we can make this happen. Hold on, Dr. Batar. One moment. Network, and this is what happens when he shows up like we're at a drive through theater. And boom, there he is. Dr. Batar is back. You know, I, I like figured, that. drive through theater. I like that. I figured Advanced Medicine Conference was so intense that you're like, ah, you know what, I'll take. You know, we took Monday. It was, it was uh, a Memorial Day. It was reasonable after that. And we got you on with Bruce Lipton, which was a whole lot of fun that you might take this this day off but no no you did show up so thank you my friend good to see you oh absolutely i'm i'm uh it's just you know at four o'clock in the afternoon my mondays were always kind of like my research day anyway but i still try to get to the office every now and then and on mondays and so it was just just uh it's it's difficult to do it in the middle of the day you know what i mean mm-hmm. but hey we're we're making it happen because robert scott bell is that important well, listen, uh, you know, it happened. We did it. The Advanced Medicine yeah. Conference happened. Of course, the thing I didn't want to do uh, by not having an MC, I did. But it, it was, listen, I'm just obviously teasing you. It's like my briar patch. I could fall into that. And it was good because you kind of, we split the duties and we did a little bit together. And uh, yeah. the the actual panel discussions with Nia Peoples. Nia is just a beautiful soul. She's a great spirit. I just love her. And it was so nice to meet her. She just she brought it to and, and Patrick Quillen being there. And I met a few people I'd not known before. Uh, the audience was just very excited to be there as well. They should, because the, 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 the information delivered was advanced medicine. It was top notch. It was, wasn't it? I mean, it was, just, it was amazing. And the, the reception from the individuals that were there, that was the, that was my barometer of measuring at how effective our talks were, Robert. I mean, I know that you, I know that you um, obviously picked up on it, but you know, when, when you're sitting there and you, you don't know exactly what the response from a lot of different people is going to be and, and how they're going to feel about some of the things that they're experiencing. And then just the, the manner in which that they received the information, it was uh, it was just exhilarating to be to know that we were part of bringing that message to them. You know, it just it's just very empowering. Did a lot of folks sign in to get get uh, part become part of the program, like the Map to Get Ahead program? I know this has been a rollout for years in the making, uh, but the, you laid it out beautifully. Uh, and, and in fact, I, I, I was scheduled to speak at three. I think I started at like nine at night. So you, you definitely laid it out, but no, no, it was great. It, it's just so important that they understand how valuable this tool can be. Yeah. Well, the map to get, you know, the head map, uh, we had that going, we had that anyway, um, that's been around now for some time, but we ended up doing the map to get ahead program, which is the next level of it. And yes, it was, it was very well received, Robert. It was very well received. Okay. Well, any other announcements before we dive into the first story that you haven't read today? Cause we got some good yeah. stuff. Super Don through us. <laughs> yeah, I haven't read through it. I haven't read through it. I know there's, in fact, we haven't even talked to the IEDFW members about what all happened at the, uh, at the conference. So I'm looking forward to doing that later on tonight, but yeah, I'm, I'm ready whenever you are. All right. So our first story going, going advanced medicine style here, I'm going to show everybody on the screen that's watching. Could tolerating disease be better than fighting it? That's a question. It's coming from the scientist.com, the dash scientist.com. So super Don really loved it because it's talking about the law of the terrain, but it's not 
you know, it's not like a normal site we would see health impact news, natural news that we, you know, we obviously were there already, but to have a mainstream scientist view going, hmm, quieting immune attacks against pathogens and even providing nutrients to the invaders could improve health, according to a new line of research. And, and short version of this, you know, they do the LD50 test on rats, and you've talked about LD50, LD1, LD2. And, and you know, so half the, half the rats die, half the rats live. What is it about the rats that live? And I've always said this. If we would just start asking about the people who are healthy, why they're healthy, we would learn a lot more than just looking at the people who died. <laughs> you know, what is it about life? And they talk about how looking at those and learning from them again, indicates that there is a terrain or an environment that has a bigger impact, just as Bruce Lipton presented, uh, and that more and more mainstream scientists, if we can call them that, are starting to embrace what we've been seeing and saying for years. Yeah, I think uh, that's a very good point. You know, what is it that it's almost like the definition of what is the meaning of life type of thing, you know, the type of statement that you just made, but that where the attention is going and understanding what is the definition of health or what is what does it mean to thrive? And this is something that, you know, I've had a pet peeve about for years where people's thought process is that the absence of disease is health, where it's in fact, it has nothing to do with the absence of disease. Absence of disease is in the middle, you know, where, where disease is on one side, absence of disease in the middle, and then thriving or actually living, not existing, but thriving <laughs> and living is on the opposite extreme. But the absence of disease is per- perceived by the general public to be healthy. And so when you're talking about maybe we should be paying attention to what makes a person live, you know, our attention is not going to that thriving component. And we would be much better off. It would behoove us as a species to to look and study and understand what allows a human being to thrive and then focus our attention on that. Yeah, there's a stunning statement in here from Andrew Reed from Penn State University, Dr. Batar. Listen to this. Hold on to your hat. There's more to recovery than simply killing bugs. Mm. <laughs> they said yeah. that. Are you kidding me? I thought it's all about killing stuff. Yeah. You know, it's amazing that the even even those that aren't aware are becoming aware. And that's part of that evolutionary process. There are people out there. I remember when I had a meeting with the CDC back in 2004 and then the, the second one, 2006. And the, the first meeting, which was supposed to be 30 minutes with the head of the Division of Toxicology, ended up being... Um, a four and a half hour meeting and the meeting ended with him hugging me because he said he's the same person who's responsible for taking lead out of gasoline back in the late 70s early 80s mm-hmm. and he said i didn't know that there were actually clinicians out there that were addressing the clinical the chronic toxicity of mercury had no idea and so th- that's one reason you know whenever we talk about the cdc i'm always the one that doesn't really beat up too much on the cdc because i say that they're always good people uh, in, like with any group, you know, you can have the worst component, but you'll still have people that are good and that are aware and that are trying to do the good work there. And we know that in the CDC, we have the toxicology division and the infectious disease division and all the attention and glory goes to the infectious disease team. But the toxicology team is really where the, where the you know, rubber meets the road type of thing. And, and these people are very, very uh, judicious and hardworking people that are constantly trying to find what is the toxicological impact of whatever is going on. And if it wasn't for them, we'd still be breathing, breathing in three, four times the amount of lead that we're breathing in right now. Even unleaded gasoline still has lead in it, but it's, uh, all, you know, it's a lot less, 
lot less. Yeah, much like less. vaccines and mercury, it's not gone. It's less, uh, but it's, it's still yeah. to be injected. It's not a good good thing. In no. this article, they talk about a specific uh, case of an infection within mice and experimental uh, conduction conducting experiment, and they found that the 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 mice that survived they apparently had expressed lots of genes linked with metabolizing iron. So then they start supplementing iron in there. Uh, and they find that they do it again and, and something is helpful. But it's still part way there, not the whole way there, because we know comprehensively iron can be toxic as well if you're not metabolizing it properly with cofactors like copper. But it's still intriguing that they're now looking at environment impacting gene expression and survivability, not getting to thriving. But again, maybe it's a transitional phase we're witnessing here within the scientific community going this direction finally. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that that's probably what's happening. It's a transition uh, and, and it's again that evolutionary process where we're changing, we're evolving, we're, we're getting better. And I think that's part and parcel of that process. So they call this phenomenon disease tolerance. Tolerance. Now, that word tolerance can be, uh, it's a double edged sword because sometimes you can tolerate a lot of crap in your life that, you know, I shouldn't be tolerating that. And, and then there's, you know, tolerance for people who have different views that, uh, than us that we, we don't believe the same, but as long as they're not harming us, they're, that, that's a positive tolerance, I see. So what does it mean to tolerate? or, or to tolerate disease? I know, again, you haven't read the article, but just from your heart, from your gut, what do you speak of? What do you think of when you hear that? Well, Robert, this is, you're opening up that can of worms. I think you're doing it on purpose. Again, you always want to go into those areas that you say, we, you know, nobody else goes into, and just we do that. And uh, I think you're again setting me up with our alley. Whether you are or not, I'm going to slam the ball anyway. <laughs> Please um, do. But, you know, it's here's the thing. When we start looking at that, the, the, one of my favorite adages is where attention goes, energy flows. And, Probably, is, let's take this out of the realm of medicine or health for a second. Let's just talk about when we, uh, econ economics, right? When people are talking about the amount of debt that they have. And so you have all these financial advisors and they give everybody uh, the advice on, on how they should focus on managing their debt and they should control their debt and they should do this with this debt and that with the debt. But the problem is their focus is on debt. So that's where all their attention is going. Whereas in my opinion, it should be on abundance or it should be on revenue generation or whatever the case is. Instead of trying to manage your debt, why don't you manage your wealth, right? It's, it's a subtle change, but it's where attention goes, energy flows. And you know that this is a huge thing of what we talked about at the Advanced Medicine Conference. But we were, of course, talking about from the perspective of health and wellness and belief and, and healing. So now when we're talking about disease, what did you say? Disease tolerance, tolerance right? Tolerance, yes, yes. Right. So look at the, listen to the energy of those two words. So you're tolerating disease. And in my world, and I know in your world, that's just not something that's acceptable. One, we should never be tolerating anything. We should never settle for everything. We should always exceed. And when we're talking about disease, our attention is going on disease, not on health. So instead of disease tolerance, mm -hmm. we should be talking about health optimization or, yes. or um, you know, optimizing wellness. So the, the entire premise of where they begin from is already flawed. Yeah, and, and to your point, in the transition phase, they're still taking the old model with them. And, and Bruce often talks about the dinosaur consciousness, so, you know, thinking like, you know, just it's our, it's our subconscious or unconscious program that says disease, 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 because what do doctors learn more about than anything? Pathology. What do yep. they learn very little about? Nutrition and this concept of vital force or vitality, which is exactly. where we thrive. And that's, uh, again, understand there. I've said doctors have a handicap, their education. <laughs> and, you know, they have You're to right. overcome it. And it's not so much the education that's the handicap, but it's the educational process. Because knowledge can never um, be disempowering. But the way we're taught 
and the way it's sterilized, and the way that mm. the information is put into our heads as if it's fact and truth, whereas in fact, it's nothing but myth and conjecture that has been propagated and perpetuated just like any other myth. Uh, th that's, where the, that's where the real problem lies because mm -hmm. they're controlling the misinformation and feeding it into the arguably the, the most educated or supposedly the most educated group of healers, mm -hmm. which then becomes um, de detrimental to the masses, but it's very, very productive for those who want to control the masses with misinformation because now they've got they've got the monopoly, right? They control right. the educational process, they control the regulatory process, they control the licensing component, which I know you're a big fan of the licensing component. <laughs> so, you know, the interesting thing here, though, Robert, if you think about it, mm -hmm. when you start going back and, and you and, and you recognize how this whole problem began, it's not just in medicine, it's in every aspect of life. And it and it's transcended time. I mean, you know, it, it goes back generations, it goes back centuries on how the masses have been controlled and manipulated. You go back into into the churches, right? Into the into the mosques, into the synagogue, whatever sure. how, in, in religion. You start going back and you see how people were controlled in the it's the same thing. That's why when you call medicine religiosity you know yeah. it, it really resonates with me because it is it's, it's a religion taking on the worst part of religion because again I, i'm not opposed to religion it's a lot of people that will say like super don i'm not a religious guy but i'm very spiritual bruce lipton says the same thing you know you and i observe these folks whether they are members of a church or not i, I observe them how they live right it mm -hmm. the, is their joy is their great joy there and the principles they live by and, and you know to your point knowledge is not bad thing some people say a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing but though as you said the way they're taught right is it wrong to learn pathology no i mean it's important to you know recognize where people are at in terms of disease processes but if all you're given is pathology with very limited or no connection to what is the pathway out really as opposed to stopping pathology from happening at the price of other pathologies being manifested that's where it becomes yes a problem of what not just what they're being trained but what they're not being taught well this is this is exactly to your point i mean this is beautiful what you just said because the attention is on pathology but what it should be on is physiology how the body works and we we don't talk much about physiology at all there is physiology in medical school but you know, that, it's interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and it was physiology that I aced. I was an average medical student, maybe even a little bit below average. But physiology, I destroyed the curve. I mean, you know, you have a 30, 40 percent on a test. That's that's a B, B plus. That's where that's where, you know, rarely did anybody get over 50, 55 percent on a, on a medical school examination. And so it was all based on a, on a standardized curve. They would basically a B would be a. a the, the median, and then you'd have two standard deviations above and below, and everything beyond that was a fail. But I would destroy the curve on the physiology test. I mean, I would. I think there was only one question that I got wrong in the, all my physiology, and I went there and I argued with the professor. I think you and I talked about this once. I argued with him for almost four hours, and he finally he told me why I was wrong. And he finally gave me the point. He goes, "What difference does it make? You still got you know you destroyed the curve. You got an A in every every test you've ever taken of mine. What do you care?" And I just wanted to argue the point, and he said. <laughs> fine, I'm going to give you the point just to shut you up and get you out of my office. I don't want to deal with it. But the thing is that physiology is how the body works. Mm -hmm. And that's where my focus has always been, how the body works. We in medicine talk about pathology, but even bigger than pathology, we talk about pharmacology. We talk about how to manipulate physiology with drugs. And that's where the problem lies because we're going into a system and mucking around with it without really understanding how the system truly works. Mm -hmm. So um, one of my favorite quotes, which is, you know, Bruce Lipton's hero when he was a kid was Einstein. Mm -hmm. 
And Einstein, one of his favorite quotes that I love, I don't know whether Bruce actually mentioned this or not, but one of his quotes that I love is that you cannot fix a problem with the same mindset that created it. Mm-hmm. And so the mindset of our current health dilemma is based upon the pharmacological intervention. And so that if that's the mindset that created the problem where we are with chronic disease increasing because of the, all the all the ways that we're getting in the way. Right. You said that the, the problem is the doctors, their education is a handicap. Well, what we do is we put things into the body and we create a further handicap. And if we can just understand that we can't solve it with that mindset, we have to now change. And, and the change comes from understanding how the body works. Mm-hmm. And once we understand how the body works, then we become more cognizant and more conscious that we're in the way. And so detoxification really comes down to getting out of the way, getting the crap out of the body and allowing the body's self-healing mechanisms to kick in to come back to this thing that I heard once a long, long time ago that the power to heal is yours. <laughs> Indeed. Y'all check it out. Links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. If you're listening and joining us on YouTube, that's great. Later on Brideon, that's Mike Adams' uh, version of YouTube that will, will not be censored. Uh, so we can talk about things, whether it be vaccines or otherwise. And uh, we have it linked up. You'll see right now, if you're watching on screen, this opening uh, discussion, uh, what was stimulated into being was uh, could, you know, tolerating disease be a good thing right and here's a quote i'm going to show everybody this and it's interesting where they go with it because it's not necessarily where we go with it but we understand their mindset anytime we take tylenol which is acetaminophen very liver toxic we have and we have the flu we well we we because we have the flu and we feel terrible they're saying that's actually you playing with tolerance this is according to stanford university microbiologist david schneider and and then they said by quieting the immune reaction that is making you feel sick you're making yourself feel better, even though you might not be affecting how much of a pathogen is in your body. And, and I bring this out to the idea of antibiotics. People with flu, they're given antibiotics and they say, well, I feel better now. Maybe it's placebo, but I think it's also the suppression of immune response, which what makes them feel rotten. The fact their immune system trying to protect you and overcome it. That's not the disease itself. That's the process of getting well back to balance, hopefully vitality. So, Robert, were you saying that they were saying that when, when you're not responding, that that's a bad thing? Is that what you said? No, they're, they're, they're taking some of the symptom suffering, basically, through Tylenol in this example. And they mm-hmm. talk about that as playing with tolerance because you're playing. not really addressing the issue. They acknowledge mm-hmm. that. You're not addressing the pathogens, but you feel better. And they mm-hmm. call that playing with tolerance. But again, I think they're not going to where we're discussing right now, clearly. Yeah, I mean they're they're right from that standpoint, and that's one of been that's been one of my pet peeves is that when we start to we get this false sense of security, right? When based upon our thought process, our immediate fix makes us think that we're better off or worse off. So yeah, you can take Tylenol and get your fever down and feel better, but you really didn't do anything in fa- except to congest your liver more, right? Mm-hmm. So. Let's talk about from a, this is like we're getting kind of like into a double negative type thing. So it gets a little confusing. So let me just make it, let me come back to and reset the point. If you talk about cancer, for example, people, when they come into the clinic and they get, they have cancer, they have a diagnosis from a third party, they come in. One of the most common things I hear is people saying, I don't understand how this happened to me, doc. I've never been sick a day in my life. Well, that's a perfect example of a danger thing. If you have never been sick a day in your life, that is not normal. Because the immune system should be responding to the environment and, you know, getting a graspy throat every now and then, a little bit of congestion, something. If you have no response to your environment, that is a sure sign that something is wrong. I don't care how healthy a person is. They should have some type of response occasionally to their environment. But if somebody never gets sick, 
they never have a runny nose, they never have a congestion, they never have any type of uh, upper respiratory type, you know, never have that. That means your immune system is non-functional or your immune system is under duress or your immune system is damaged. And you cannot get cancer unless you have a compromised immune system. So this is that false sense of security. People say, well, I've never been sick a day in my life thinking that they're healthy. Yeah. Of course, you know, most of them are not doing things on a healthy level. They're, they're not living a healthy life. But because they don't get sick, yeah. they think that they're healthy. And this comes back to that original point that we brought up at the beginning of the show, that the absence of disease is not health. This is to, a very important part. To your point, and I think to mine, I, I sometimes say if you, and this is to all of our new listeners, if you could still eat at a fast food restaurant and not at least get diarrhea within an hour or two, you're not well. And you get my yeah. point, right? Yeah. Because yeah. a healthy person reacts to toxic poisons, even in minute doses, by somehow moving them through as quickly as possible. The most violent reaction is what we call a scenic reaction, like vomiting it out. Mm-hmm. Those of you who remember Supersize Me, uh, Morgan Spurlock, the first day that he went to say Supersize McDonald's the whole day, he threw everything up because his body yeah. said, this is not good. Now, he went into a state of, interestingly enough, tolerance. Mm-hmm. We call it adaptation, Hans Selye. Again, a lot of what Bruce Lipton talks about, you know, how we adapt to the environment, right? That's mm-hmm. survivability. But mm-hmm. surviving in a chronic disease state is not thriving. There's a distinction right. that has to be made, and that is what is lost in medical education. You're absolutely right, Robert. You are absolutely right. And this component that you were talking about, this adaptability component, right? It's something that happens as you start detoxing your body and as you start getting healthier, your tolerance for some of these things is decreased. So I used to be able to eat fast food and all that stuff and had no problem. But as I got healthier, as I was more detoxed, my you remember you're opening up the doorway. It's like a revolving doorway. Yes, you're opening it up the doorway to get more of the toxins out. But it also op- once the door opens up, you're also more susceptible and more sensitive to those toxins coming in. Right. The door is not just a one way door. And I found that my tolerance for thing, eating certain things, like you, you always had an intolerance, and that's one reason you became so healthy and uh, your diet became so healthy at a young age. I never had that issue. So it was actually a gift what you had because your body was more attuned to the messages it was getting from the environment, and you were able to change and understand what your body needed. I didn't have any health issues. So as I went on, but as I was getting detoxed, as I, as I got older, I was doing more IVs and this and that my sense system became more sensitive to the environment. Not and this because was, you were becoming weaker, Dr. Batar, right? To your point, oh, you're getting oh, stronger. Becoming cleaner. Yeah. Becoming cleaner, right? So we see this often with people as they come, when they come in, for example, cancer patients, when we clean them up, their skin gets tighter and younger looking, their hair gets darker. People accuse them of having facelifts and this and that. But what's interesting is they also become more sensitive to chemicals, to smells, to perfumes, and they don't understand that. And I'm telling, I have to explain to them, your system has gotten cleaner. So now it's more sensitive to those onslaughts, right? Just like if you drink Coca-Cola and, 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 or Sprite or whatever, you, you get desensitized and you just drink that stuff. Then if you stop drinking it, like I haven't had a Coke in probably 30 years or a Sprite in probably 25 years, but I had, um, the, uh, on a plane, I ordered, I always order club soda, right? So this lady gave me accidentally Sprite. Mm. And I took a sip of this, Robert. I literally spit it out back in the glass because it was, it was like drinking pure sugar. Yeah, yeah. So your body can't tolerate it because it, it becomes desensitized or sensitized. So the more you put in, the more sugar you put in, the more sugar your body craves, the more desensitized you become to sugar. That's like anything else. Alcohol, the same way, right? When people drink, they need more alcohol to get that fixed or drugs or whatever else. Anything, you become more desensitized. And so... Um, you want to become 
when you get cleaner, you become more sensitive to those things that, that you may have been getting a lot of before, but you weren't sensitive to before because your system is getting cleaner. And I think that this is a beautiful thing because even though we, we may talk about like people with gluten sensitivity or this or that, I believe it's a beautiful thing that the body can communicate with us and tell us, hey, don't eat X, Y, or Z because it makes you feel sick. It's yeah. a feedback mechanism. Right. So how is it? And I, again, I'm so inspired by the Advanced Medicine Conference and reuniting with Bruce Lipton and it strengthens our you know, everything. Right. When you get together with people of like mind, it's like a one plus one equals three or three thousand or three million. And I, that's the way I felt about what happened there. Uh, the communication with ourselves. I, I want to expand that out into dealing with doctors because so many moms, especially that were intimidated by doctors who said, you know what, these vaccines are perfectly fine. Don't listen to, you know, whatever you're hearing. It's nonsense. And then they end up with these children who are injured. You, you've confronted that. They've come to you with their children for so many years. And I think about that cellular communication, the gut, the heart, beyond just mental constructs of somebody who has, well, I've, I'm a doctor. You're not a doctor, right? How do we strengthen that level of communication so nobody can throw us off our truth in that way? Again, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we we prepare for this show. What like zero seconds? I mean, today today you was negative like negative ten seconds of preparation, Doctor Batari. You showed up. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't even know how. I don't know whether you thought of these questions beforehand, but this is the entire premise of the Map to Get Ahead program, and and all the coaches that are coming into the program that are going to be helping people. Every one of them has either been a patient of ours, or they've gone to the, through the map to get ahead program, not to be confused with the ahead map, which is a tool, right? The map to get ahead program. And again, this is my way of solving this issue, because as the people start to go through this process of understanding and realizing and recognizing and then experiencing, you remember my lecture, Robert, I talked about the five levels of experience, right? Mm -hmm. That fifth level, which is the experiential experience that an individual has, which is what my goal is for all these coaches to help them now empower every person's coming to the map to get ahead program. Once you've experienced it, once you've seen the light, once you've experienced the light, you can never go back into the darkness. That's the beautiful thing. And I always warn doctors before they come through our training program that be careful. You open that door and once the light shines through, the, the problem is you can never go back into that darkness. You can't stick your head in the sand and say, you know, I can't hear, I can't see, blah, blah, blah. You can't do that anymore because the awareness isn't that now there. Yeah. So not I without that, heavy medication, as I joke, but you exactly, know, that's where exactly. you get so what, what we're doing, um, you know, what you're doing six days a week, you know, what I'm doing in the clinic and what many of uh, like-minded people are doing, like Bruce and his lectures and, and um, you know, Mike Adams putting out his information, Ty and all this stuff. By the way, Ty just, just sent me a message about 30 minutes before, before the radio show. I'll, I'll tell you that when the break, what he said, it was funny. But um, he asked me if I was, he goes, are you speaking at our conference? Yes or no? And I said, for you, no. But for Charlene, yes. And he comes <laughs> up saying, because I, I, that's, what, that's all I want to know. But yes. the point is that I think that we as human beings tend to forget that we have that power. We, we all have that power. Every single human being has a power. We have been so dumbed down on purpose by the hierarchy to to convince us that we don't have the power that many of us start to believe it. And this was, this goes back to what we talked about the education process. This comes back to, you know, and the medical side of the house, the misinformation that's been put out there. And just think about this for a second, Robert. The first time I heard about the history of cannabis was when Ty gave the lecture about eight years ago at the, one of the advanced medicine conferences. I think the one in Charlotte that we did the small one. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea 
that cannabis, that, that, um, that hemp was considered to be a gift from the heavens for our forefathers and how the lobbying aspect for the uh, paper industry was really what created the problem and how it was, how hemp was demonized and how they prohibited. But look how many people have gone to jail for the use of marijuana. And now what is it? Nine States it's legal. And in two countries and in Canada, it's completely legal. It's federally legal. And I think mm-hmm. in um, Uruguay, it's legal right. now. And normal countries are looking at this. But see how man changes the law? It's man's law. So mm-hmm. how can you say that something was against the law one time and now today, um, just because man changed the law arbitrarily, suddenly it's legal? Yeah. And this is why I always distinguish between man's law and the creator's law, well, right? And our, and our founders also in, in America set that up and they talked about nature and nature's God. They recognized there was a distinction between what man would do uh, when he abandons nature and nature's mm. God, nature's God. Let's always say that that's like of creation. So folks, we, we get a lot of int- interesting discussion. I, I do find it fun, especially when Dr. Batar uh, is surprised when I throw him a, 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 an interesting lob and he slam dunks it. I just enjoy doing it, but uh, that he picks up on it is is to his credit because sometimes I can be subtle, sometimes not. But we have a good time, as you can tell on the show here. Advanced medicine each and every week on the Robert Scott Bell Show, robertscottbell.com. Talking about the power of moms, it's not just their intuition, it's their breast milk. And when we come back from this brief break for the immune system, we'll talk about what's in there to give lifelong protection to the babies if the doctors don't get in the way. We'll be right back. All right, back at it here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. I just wanted to show you uh, this next story, folks, if you're following along at robertscottbell.com. Archives available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, UK Health Radio, World Broadcasting Network. Of course, streaming live through naturalnewsradio.com and YouTube and then Brideon. And, of course, advancedmedicine.com gets it as well. So you you can see it all there and learn about the AHEAD map and all the the uh, the amazing things that we do together with Dr. Batar. So breastfeeding mom's milk can, t- can transfer lifelong protection against infection to their babies. And uh, here's the actual article. As I open it up there, I'm going to take it off of that view so you can see it. It's coming through neurosciencenews.com, Dr. Batar. So when we come out and talk about these issues of the brain, the nervous system, the benefits to the immune system from breast milk, that should not be controversial. But if you speak about it in relation to vaccines, suddenly it's, oh, my gosh, you've 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 opened up a rift in the universe. How dare you speak bad of these injections that are supposed to replace what breast milk does naturally? You know, you talk to any farmer, you talk to any kid who grew up on a farm. They know that if the baby calf, horse, your dog, cat, in our case, zebras, camels, whatever is born, if they don't get that colostrum from the mother in the first 48 hours, that animal is dead. So there's no controversy about this. And yet they make it to be like such a, you know, um, it, it's just absurd, Robert. Yeah. You, remember when Mike covered those stories of the, of the uh, I think it was the FDA or maybe, I think it was the FDA that was raiding uh, mm-hmm. places in California for raw milk that were selling raw milk. Rossum, I mean, they yes teams and helicopters and all this stuff yeah. because i mean just how preposterous is this it's yeah. it's just unbelievable that for 10,000 20,000 50,000 years i don't know maybe 100,000 years man has domesticated cows yeah. and and we have drank the milk and people talk about well you know uh, I, I heard a doctor once give a lecture and he said well it's not natural for humans to drink the milk from another species and in fact we as humans are the only ones that drink species of milk from a different species and that if you want to drink milk 
then you should find yourself a lactating female. Okay. Well, first of all, as as uh, interesting as that might sound, <laughs> the, the point is that we have, again, adaptogenically used cow's milk for tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. Goat without milk, any- yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm sorry? Goat milk as well, of course. Yeah, the different yeah, animal milks. Camel yeah. milk, goat milk, yeah. all of that. Exactly. The problem is not the milk. The problem is what we do to the milk. We homogenize it and pasteurize it and irradiate it and genetically modify it. And then it's, the problem is what we do to the, the feed animal, that we yeah. the goats and the cows. And so, of course, it gets all altered. And, and missing that and saying that, oh, we as a species shouldn't be drinking the milk from other species – that's the absurdity of it all. They're simply not recognizing it's what we, again, mm-hmm. get in the way, create the problems and mess everything up and change it around so the body can't now deal with the evolutionary process that it's dealt with and how the adaptogenic process over the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years that we've, that we've you know, our bodies have accustomed and changed and to, to be able to tolerate and, and adjust and to thrive mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. Now we go in there and we muck everything up. And from an evolutionary process, we the body sees it as being foreign right and then we say it's the milk the milk the milk well yeah it's the milk but what do you do to it exactly what did you do the animal that produced it exactly that's the the law of the terrain and what manifests is obviously different than when it was done right the way nature had intended to do it now i'm going to read the first paragraph from this article dr batar see what you think because it goes to the the state of consciousness where they acknowledge we had a view now we got to change our view right the science is always settled until it's not, <laughs> until it's unsettled. And we go, oops, we were wrong. How often does that happen? Every day. Previously, right. I read now, it was generally thought that immunity against illnesses, that immunity against illness pass, is passed from mum, because this is from University of Birmingham in, in England, from mum yeah. to baby, and for only the period that they are breastfed and that this protection ends when breastfeeding stops. It was also thought that this immunity was transferred by a mother's protein, such as antibodies that are used by the immune system to neutralize bacteria and virus. So basically they're finding out that the benefit is lifelong, long lasting, again, depending on how they live, ultimately law of the terrain, and that it's more than just about antibodies. Yep. Yep. Dude. And, and, and it's, it's something that I'm glad that somebody, I'm surprised they actually got it published, but that's the whole thing. It, do you really, don't you think this could be a moment of duh? Like, it like, should be, but no, it's not. It's so far from consciousness in medicine at this point that this is a major stunt. We should celebrate this day. It's another Memorial yeah. Day, you know? This, do, you remember, do you remember that study a couple of years ago? We covered it. It was something so stupid like um, scientists have found in a study that exercise leads to decrease obesity or something absurd like that. You remember that? We're like, yeah, why the hell do you study yeah. to prove something like that? When isn't that like intuitively obvious? Mm. It's like saying that oh, we just discovered that water is wet, you know, <laughs> and it's not dry. Yeah, really. I mean, you needed a study to do that. Mm-hmm. So immune transfer from mother to infant via breastfeeding, very important source of protection. Duh, right? This is the first demonstration they're claiming. That infection prior to pregnancy can transfer lifelong cellular immunity to infants. Now, we come back to those of us who argue that measles is better than right. preventing it theoretically or actually via vaccination, which is a disaster. And that discussion is not happening anywhere in the mainstream news. You're exactly right. Because what people don't understand is that measles exposure or many of these other exposures are actually training and educating the immune system so it can function correctly. And by going in there and annihilating it and damaging it, we're preventing the individual from having an immune system that's intact so that later on in life, 
when it's exposed to other types of pathogens or whatever the case may be, is going to become more susceptible to cancer and many other types of issues. That's the whole that's the whole premise behind how the immune system works. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm amazed at how many uh, oncologists don't understand. I mean, I think now probably more and more because of the media has been talking about the immune therapies and stuff. But, you know, one of the one of the onco- the only oncologists they could find that would testify against me in the case back in 2005 to 2010, when the medical board uh, engaged with me, the oncologist, I'm not kidding you. This is a matter of record. The oncologist said, what does the immune system have to do with cancer? I'm not kidding you. This is exactly what, this is the same guy that said this all quackery right. that, uh, uh, that cancer is a sugar feeder. There's no such thing. This is just pseudoscience. Oh, and you busted him back when you asked him how they test for cancer, right? Right. When I asked him, how does a PET scan work? You right. know, so, so the point is, again, there's so much misinformation in the medical profession and there's so much myth that's propagated. And so this comes back to the point that you originally made, which is how do we make sure that we are n- not susceptible and not uh, brainwashed and not pushed into this wrong information? And, and actually, how, how can we support this where we can be empowered? We can empower each other and empower others to be aware of the truth. And this is the whole reason for, well, this is the whole reason that you head up the International Association for a Disease-Free World so that we can educate and empower individuals mm-hmm. and have them at the point of never being a victim again because they're empowered with knowledge. Right. Now, remember when I say that doctors have a handicap, you know, and, and we can nuance the, you know, what is the handicap? Is it the education or is it the training? Is it the way they're taught? But the reality is as brilliant as this revelation is, like we would say, well, duh, but they didn't know. It's like, oh, my gosh, look what we found. They recognize the transient nature of vaccination, right, prior to pregnancy, infection in moms because they're not getting the thing. But here's where they they just you had one job, right? Figure it out, right? You got this great revelation. They say our work shows that in some cases, and I'm quoting this. I'm going to show you all uh, on screen for those of you who want to see our work shows that uh, in some cases, this effect can also be permanent. Uh, this could lead to the design of new, talking about breast milk, right? What, it, what it's doing. This effect could also be permanent. This could lead to the design of, wait for it, new vaccines that will be able to be given to mothers to transfer long-term immunity to her children. I'm telling you, they had it, and they as quick as they had it, they lost it that quickly, Dr. Bittar. It's like, it's like watching a football game yeah. and seeing, seeing somebody you know, catch the football at the one yard line and run it all the way down to the end zone. And there's nobody around him. And he's just about to cross the line. And then he stops and he just drops the ball. And he's yeah. just looking at it. It's like, that, what? <laughs> uh, you can't make this stuff up folks. Again, these are doctors. These are PhDs. Like, Whoa, wow. Look what breast milk's doing. Look what we can't do with that. Hey, maybe this thing will now give us the opportunity to do it with the vaccine. I, I just, I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm like, but you know, Robert, hearts. we, we, we are, we're making fun of them, but here's really what the, I think part of the issue is our, probably a majority of the issue is mm. those that actually want to put the right information out there, they won't get it published anymore. Right. Yeah, yeah. After certain studies have come out and You're then right, they were revoked yeah. and then, you know, all the propaganda and all the misinformation, you know, of like the different studies with the MMR, for example, and the, with, when Wakefield did his and then they revoked the study. Well, now what they're doing is they won't even publish stuff unless the outcome that is being discussed yeah. is conducive to the narrative that they're putting out there. So if and, we're, if we're going to be a little nicer to the researchers here, they might conclude what we've concluded, but if they put right. that in their paper, we conclude that it looks like, you know, we could, if we actually encouraged the infections, the natural infections prior to you know, that, we would not need these vaccines. Of course, it would never be published. So to your right. point, before we throw them under the bus, that could be the, the only way we'll get this published. If then we say, Hey, maybe this could lead to new vaccines. 
Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's what we're dealing I'm giving with. Giving them the benefit of the doubt here, but I, yeah. I really believe that, that you can't you can't have so much awareness and understanding mm -hmm. come to, you know, do these studies and then have the conclusion what, what they came with, you know what I mean? Yeah. What, what they put out. And I think it's because they said, okay, this is a change of conclusion. So we get our study published because all this work we've done and all this write-up we've done. And after all, we researchers and we have, you know, unless we publish something, we don't get paid anything. So let's get the published. Let's just change the conclusion mm -hmm. so that the hierarchy is happy so we can get our information out there. Yes. And, and then it leaves it up to people like you and I to decipher the code. And, and, and understand that there are people that are putting out information. That's good information, but unfortunately, the conclusions, whether consciously or unconsciously, are not accurate. Yeah. There's probably well, a reason behind it. Last week, before I was uh, able to make it to Advanced Medicine, that crazy trip back and, and you know, with no sleep, uh, I got to interview. My final interview of, of the day at Autism One in Chicago was with uh, Dr. Stephanie Seneff. And I, I'm sure you've heard of it. She's an MIT researcher, PhD. Brilliant, just a sweet lady as well. A white hair, you'll see her if you ever get to meet her. But she's spent a lot of her time researching glyphosate, you know, that ingredient in Roundup. And she found even it was contaminating vaccines. You talk about the ingredients they don't list. Mm. Uh, and then the devastation that that plays out. But she, she's also an MIT PhD that never was turned down for grants, really. All her public, all publication after publication, peer-reviewed articles. Since she came out about the glyphosate issue, she can't get anything published. Good research is now because her name is attached to it. She's been sort of wakefielded in the same way. Yeah. And so, you know, here we are showing about a story or a study that was published that actually is pretty, you know, on point that the conclusion is way off point. But in order to get it published again, we don't know. We're not in the minds of the people that did that. Maybe they know. Maybe they don't know. But the fact, Dr. Batar, that you brought it up is, again, another layer to the ruse, to the control of the flow of information and to teach doctors what they can and can't think about or speak about, even if they think it. Well, I had uh, myself. This has happened with me where. I've had some doctors that have said, Dr. Tar, why haven't you put this out? Why haven't you put the research out? Why haven't you published? And, you know, I actually did participate in this exercise in futility for a few years until I realized that no matter what happens, my name had already been tainted for the, in the publication industry. So, for example, Dr. Bernhoff, who you met at the Advanced Medicine Conference, and I wrote a paper years ago on the uh, oxidative injury aspect in autism. Mm -hmm. And we wrote this paper in response to a call for papers in JAMA, mm -hmm. and the call for papers was specific for disease processes that had no known cure in the, in, in the pediatric population. So we all talked about oxidative stress and autism. And we mentioned, um, I had, I mean, the, the number of times we mentioned mercury was, you know, just ridiculous. And I mean, I, I, I don't think it was ridiculous because that was where the etiology was. And, and Robin said, you know, Rashi, let's just take the mercury issue down a notch or two or three. And so we only mentioned it maybe two or three times, but we were talking about the general concept of oxidative injury and how that's what the mechanism of action is that causes, you know, the, the autistic problem, which is, which is uh, oxidative, all metals and all toxicities, the mechanism is oxidative damage. So anyway, we put this paper out there and uh, we, we submitted it and we submitted it on a Sunday night. I think I've told you this before. And on a Monday morning, like within seven hours or eight hours from the time we submitted it, there was a response in our inbox that said, after peer review, after, after, um, peer, after our peer review process, we found your study not to have met the criteria for publication. And I looked up what their review process was. The peer review process was three clinicians having reviewed the study and then deciding that it didn't meet the criteria. Now, you tell me on a Sunday night, 
over an eight-hour period, we submitted like at 10 o'clock that night and at mm. eight, 7 o'clock in the morning, yeah. East Coast time, we had this response. So which three doctors spent all night reviewing our study uh, and then decided that didn't meet the peer review criteria? Right. Well, obviously, no, it wasn't. That didn't happen. They basically have a scanner that checks for keywords. And when you have autism and mercury in the same, in the same study, it's never going to be rejection. Well, and that's, well, Dr. Senef had a similar experience. She said t- within 24 hours, a really yeah. solid paper was rejected. And yep. if she dug and found out that it was her name that triggered it. Yeah, even though gly- I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead, Robert. I was saying, even though glyphosate it was more controversial now with these awards, billion dollar awards against it, there probably will be more publications that will accept it. But again, it, it, at this point on the vaccine mercury issue, there's still that controversy that they won't allow it to happen. Right, and for people that may be interested in that, if you're listening, we, Townsend Letter did pick up that uh, that study that that write up that we did, and it is available. In fact, if you go to autismdefined.net, uh, it is available there. You just have to subscribe and then it'll give you a bunch of different things. And that study, as, as well as the one, the paper that we submitted Lancet, mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, I didn't have a lot of things that I submitted. Uh, and even though some of these things didn't get published, we still, because we put all the effort out there and, and none of these studies or none of these things, the, the one for Lancet was a review and we had like 13 different physicians and researchers involved with it. So even though it didn't get published, the studies are available so you can read it yourself. And it's on an autismdefined.net. Nice, nice. Now we got a few more minutes before we wrap up the show. I don't know. Do you have time to do some extra innings today, or do you have to run? Yeah, with you? yeah absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, there is one article I definitely want to hit with you because it's just, again another wheelhouse article, and and still being a little bit high over the experience uh, with uh, uh, Dr. Lipton, of course. And here's an article from Natural Society says it's a mindset. Okay, we'll get into that. It's a mindset. What's a mindset? In order to get fit, you must first think of yourself as fit. Interesting, right? It's you exercise, yeah, of course, but if you go into exercise with a mindset of a slovenly, overweight, you know, all these things, it's going to impact how your cells respond to the physical exercise that is indeed good for you. That's a very true. That's very true. We, as human beings, sabotage ourselves constantly. There's a self-sabotage component in all of us, it seems like, and I, I believe that one way to try to help alleviate that self-sabotage is by changing the mindset, having that right intention. And, you know, I did not even, I wanted to disclose my formula mm-hmm. to everybody at Advanced Medicine Conference. And I, and unfortunately, um, even though I took all that extra time, I didn't disclose the formula all the way. Mm-hmm. So we will be putting out a video about this, but this is, this goes to the point of what you're talking about. And that is having that intention before we initiate in anything so that we, our mindset is, um, think of it as plowing the field before you sow the seed. And that intention is plowing the field and preparing it so that it has the best chance for the seed taking. And this is one thing that we never do, or we're never taught to do this. And we should, this should be a basic component in the educational system of every child is you first set your mindset at the point that you want to that you want to create the awareness and the intention so that then we can build upon that intention. So it's just like plowing the field and preparing the field so that the seed that you're going to put in there has the best chance of growing and, um, you know, bearing fruit eventually. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. I'm looking at this study, Octavia Zart, a Stanford PhD student in organizational behavior uh, did this. And I I think it's great because the the final uh, sentence of this article uh, it talk, it's like Bruce Lipton could have said this. If we can change our perceptions to view all activity as good activity, 
We think that this could be a first and really important step to improving our health. So this idea of what you perceive becomes reality, where attention goes, energy flows, right? Yep, exactly. But the perception about what you do, it's not just what you do, it's your perception about it. All right, Dr. Pitar, we, we got 30 seconds to wrap up, then we'll come back with extra innings. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say the perception is is nine-tenths of the law or 95% of the, of the law because this is what happens with cancer patients. It's their perception, and it's, our, it's, our all, it's all about perception. If you can adjust your perception, you know, it's kind of like uh, if, if I was in the forest and if I wasn't in the forest and a tree falls, does it make a noise? Well, you know, it's all based upon your perception. If you're, Are your ears necessary in order for that tree to make a noise when it falls? So it's yeah. all perception. It comes down to all perception. All right. Perception is we've got to wrap up advanced medicine today. Another brilliant show. I must say so. Uh, when Batar shows up, it gets brilliant. So what can you do? I just, he just shows up. That's all he has to do. Slacker. Love you, man. All right. We got a lot more healing to go. We got extra endings coming up. Those of you who have listened uh, through naturalnewsradio.com, it streams uh, shortly thereafter and uh, archives available everywhere, including advancedmedicine.com. Links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Dr. Batar, you know what to say. Tell them what they need to know because we sort of have to go that the power to heal is unequivocally yours.